Well, good day to you. I'm Joel, one of the pastors. It is good to be with you. And if you are here today and not in the state of Florida, you love Jesus more. Can I get an amen? And if you're watching and you show up here next week with the tan, I got a problem with you. Right? Everybody's in Florida except for the lovers of Jesus. I'm kidding. If you're new here, ask anybody who's been coming. I'm kidding. I have a problem with sarcasm. I'm calling out to God. Um, Oh, it is good to be with you. It's Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the people chanted and shouted and declared, that is the Messiah, that is the King, even though they had absolutely no idea what that meant. And that's why we are here today. Um, And I tell you, we get to unpack Palm Sunday in a very unique way today because my goal today is very simple. I'm going to be trying to make sure that you understand contextually the tension that was in Jerusalem as Jesus entered Jerusalem for the very last time. Why was there so much tension? Why was there so much angst in that place? And hopefully you're going to learn a little bit more about that today and the reasons why. Key word though today, uh, two key words really I I would say is surrender. Please say surrender. Surrender. And tension. Surrender. Surrender. Tension. That's what we're going to deal with. Those are fun words for you to even write down. What's it look like to surrender? What's it look like for you to live in the tension in a world in which Christ is not received fully? And so we look at that today. I'm going to go all the way back, though. In the next three to four minutes, here's my goal. I'm going to unpack thousands of years of history to let you know why he enters Jerusalem with the tension that there is. I'm going to do this in three to four minutes. So it might be some key passages for you and events for you to write down. So that, because as you write them down, if you can understand this, you will process the need to understand Palm Sunday in order to know the death on Friday and then to celebrate the, ris- the risen Savior on Sunday. Let's go back, and we're going to start in the next three to four minutes, Genesis chapter 12. Here's where it goes. Genesis chapter 12, you have the scattering of the people with the Tower of Babel. And God, in that moment, chooses Abraham. It's a key key person here. Abraham was Abram, now Abraham, right? And God chooses Abraham and promised to make him into a great nation. You see that in Genesis chapter 12, the first few verses. Also in Genesis chapter 22, 15 through 18. And you see that very thing being called out. And that promise delivered as Abraham's family grew. It, it was something that was being called out of them. Um, and Abraham's family, they ended up, of course, with everybody else, all the Jews. They ended up in Egypt. And we know that they were in Egypt for how many years? 400 years they were in slavery in Egypt. You got to know this. Another thing to write down. And then finally they were rescued out of slavery and they were brought to the foot of Mount Sinai. Um, and they recognize that they have been redeemed in order to be ruled. I did a series on Exodus. That's Exodus 1 through 18. And it talks about that very thing. I did that just a couple of years ago. You can still go back and listen to that. But here's a group of people who have been redeemed to be ruled. God then, after their deliverance out of Egypt, he comes before the Israelites and he asks them to obey all the terms of the covenant so that they could be God's priestly representatives to all nations. That's Exodus 19. But the family of Abraham failed, and so God raised up a a leader by the name of David. 
who would end up being faithful on behalf of the unfaithful people, even though we all know that David messed up a lot as well, adultery and murder and other things. But God had promised that a leader for Israel would come in the future from David's lineage. A faithful king would would come about and lead Israel towards faithfulness. And this king would rule over the nations forever and ever. And even later on, Isaiah ends up painting a picture of the future hope of an anticipated king. Future hope of an anticipated king. But yet only the repentant would be redeemed. Only the repentant would be redeemed. That's why even at Christmas we go to passages like Isaiah chapter 9 with over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament of a Messiah. Over 300. And Isaiah 9 says, For to us a child will be born, a son will be given, government will rest on his shoulders, there will be no end to the increase of his government on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness. So really long story made short, God God's covenant calls Israel and the kings of each generation to repentance and faithfulness, and yet they failed over and over again. None of David's descendants lived up to the call. And while they're waiting for somebody to live up to the call, then you have something called the exile, Babylonian exile. And so then they're sent into exile, and so now they're waiting, and it's been centuries upon centuries of them waiting for somebody to deliver them, of of waiting for somebody to bring them out of captivity. This is how the promise of a Messiah became a hope for the distant future. They had been waiting and waiting. This is the backdrop that was creating this tension for when Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time. This is the story of Jesus. Jesus was a faithful king from the line of David, but there are some other big issues here because of what their understanding of what God would actually accomplish and do on their behalf. I'll give you a couple of issues that they were having is that we know that the Jews were struggling because Jesus was coming and he started helping people outside of just Jewish people. And they were waiting for somebody to come and to deliver them from political freedom. That's another issue they had. They wanted delivery, uh, and, and I would say even they wanted to be brought out of a political freedom rather than spiritual freedom. And so they had the wrong expectations of a king already. And we know in John chapter 4, he's going into places like Samaria, healing the woman at the well. And they're going, wait, I thought this was for Jewish people to be delivered. Why is he coming to half-breeds? Why is he coming to all these other people and helping them as well? They had too small of an understanding of what the Messiah was coming for. Sometimes our understanding of the Messiah is too small as well. He has come to redeem all people from all sin who profess faith in him. And so they were struggling. Jesus walks in through this gate in Jerusalem for the last time. He rides in on a donkey, and he's hearing these chants that you heard at the beginning of the service. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. They're hearing these things and these chants, and he's processing all of this, and he knows that they don't really get it because they just go, man, he just, he, they wanted him to be coming in on a stallion and to kick Romans' tail. And he didn't do it because he wasn't coming for political freedom. That's temporary. He was coming for spiritual freedom, which is eternal.
Somebody recently asked me, like, why don't you preach about politics more? I said, I'll preach about what's in the Bible. By the way, that's eternal. Politics is not. So it's Palm Sunday. I hope this is creating the environment for you. They've been waiting for centuries and centuries. If I'm hungry, I can't hardly wait to eat lunch. Right? I don't eat on Sundays uh, until after the services. So I, mean, I, get, I get riled up and, you know, anyway. So I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I can't wait to eat lunch. I can't wait. Imagine centuries and centuries of waiting for a king. And now he comes. The population of Jerusalem would have been at least four times normal population. Why? To add to the mix even further, what is it? It's Passover. Passover goes all the way back to the captivity of the Israelites in where? Egypt. It involves a Passover lamb. It involves the blood of a Passover lamb being smeared on the doorposts of those people so that they don't lose the firstborn child, which is the last plague that God brought upon Egypt. So now there's even more tension. Like, it's crowded. It's something you can't get through the crowds barely. I mean, they got to make a way for you, make a path, prepare a way for you just to get through all the mass of the, the sea of humanity, right? And so here, Jesus is coming in, and it's Passover, and they've been waiting for a king for centuries. All of this is happening, and to add even more to it, guess what had just taken place? Lazarus was been put into a grave. Jesus says, come out. Lazarus, and now he's been risen from the dead. That creates even more of a stir about what is going on. Is this really happening right now? Are the prophecies coming to fruition? Is this unfolding in front of us? This is Palm Sunday. With this Jewish tradition celebrating the Jews' deliverance from slavery from Egypt and all of these different things that are happening right now. It's why one of the prophecies that we know very well, Zechariah 9.9, is so important. In Zechariah 9.9, it says the following. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey. And so they're thinking back to these types of words and going, Is this it? Is this it? We want the white stallion with the sword in hand to conquer Rome, political freedom. But is this it? Is it really? I mean, he's on a donkey. Is this taking place right now? And so they get caught up in it, and they start chanting and calling out, Behold. There was a Messiah that had been prophesied who would come and deliver the Jews. And they were primed. They were primed with all of this happening. Y'all understand it now, right? You're all like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go tell all my friends later today. Yes? Call all of your evil friends in Florida. No, I'm just kidding. Um, And be like, go tell your friends. This is, if you understand contextually all that was unfolding, all that was happening right now, then you're like, wow. Whoa, like, okay. He was coming into a storm. And here's the thing that you actually see on Palm Sunday. Because remember, okay, so here they are. The the people are calling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We know that. But we also know that there are only 120 followers at his death and resurrection because everybody else went away. So we know simple math tells us that the declaration of behold, glory to God, for many was not genuine. 
And here's why. Because embracing Jesus, embracing Jesus requires surrendering of selfish agenda. You're going, well, that's not much fun. Just write, write it down. Embracing Jesus, and they did not fully embrace Jesus. They embraced an idea of, somebody to come, of someone coming to free them from the political rule of Rome. They embraced that. They embraced the idea that God would send a Messiah to set apart the Jewish people all by themselves to rule over everyone else. That's what they were embracing was that notion. And when they discovered that Jesus was coming for something different than their own expectations, their own agenda, they had a problem with it. And one of the reasons that we have a problem with Jesus today is because he's not coming to fulfill your expectation. He's not coming to do what you want him to do. He's not coming to make sure you get what you want. He is coming to rule over every nation through peace and through joy, through salvation in the blood of Jesus Christ being sacrificed for us. That's why the tomb is empty. There's a difference. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we're really no different than the people before. There are too many people today who say, I love you, and we get caught up in it, and we're going to get in front of a mass of people and be like, man, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is so great. But then on Wednesday, when he doesn't do what you want him to do, because we live in a sinful, broken world, you go, I don't know if I believe in God now. Because the declaration was never genuine. It's just a reality for us. And I, my prayer is that for you, the idea of surrendering to Jesus Christ is genuine. That you've actually, you're someone who says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then on Wednesday, when things don't go the way you want, because we live in a broken world, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans. We know this. And we know that God allows for things to happen, but in the midst of the storm, he can still bring peace. In the midst of the storm, he can bring comfort. In the midst of the storm, he can still give you joy. In the midst of the storm, he gives you brotherhood and sisterhood to walk with you through the path of difficulty. But too many today, when the difficulty comes, they deny God. When the difficulty comes, they blame God, because isn't that easier? And so you come here because maybe your husband drug you here or maybe your wife drug you and said, you got, we got to go to church, we got to raise our kids a certain way, and yet you go out of this place and you're holding on to the bitterness and the hostility and you question if you should even be married and you're holding on to the anger in your life and you're holding on to the desires that you have a selfish agenda rather than surrendering to the will of God. This is what's happening on Palm Sunday. But here's the text for you. It was read previously in the service. So I'm just going to walk through some of this text for us today. Luke chapter 19, it says, He said all these things. He goes ahead of them in Jerusalem, and he's already called out to the disciples. I need you to, I need you to go into the village in front. I, you're going to find a colt there, right? Nobody's ever said upon it. Untie it and bring it here. Now, again, this is fulfilling prophecy, right? If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord has need of it. Isn't that, wouldn't that be so fun? Like, wouldn't it be great if... Anything you're steward over, we know that we're servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. And, and as we steward whatever he puts in front of us, whatever belonging he has, if, if someone comes up and just says, the Lord has need of it, you just give it away. Wouldn't that be great? I'm going to try that with some of you later on. 
Some of you in Florida with a vacation home, I'm going to come to you and say, the Lord has need of it. And then we're going to Florida. Right? Just, the Lord has need of it. It's yours. The Lord has need of it. It's yours. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, they were untying the colt. The owner said to them, why are you untying it? The owner comes up. Lord has need of it. That's all it says. So they took the colt. The colt. I mean, it's fantastic. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. He was drawing near, already on the way down on the mount. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice, praising God for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as they are cheering and they are chanting now, imagine this. Jesus has all of these people cheering and chanting. Everybody cheer and chant. Go. Awesome. Yes. Go Bulldogs. Okay. So... I just wanted to, okay. Um, my family's gone, so I haven't been with people much lately. And I'm like, all right. So he's hearing all of that. Blessed, everybody say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. While overhearing this here, he has the Pharisees going, you better rebuke them. Blessed is he, and the crowd's chanting, and he's coming in on a donkey. They put cloaks out and palm branches. They're welcoming in. All the prophets, he spoke to this. And he's hearing the Pharisees say, you better rebuke them. You better tell them to be quiet. Come on, like, wow. Big celebration. Tell them to be quiet. And then here Jesus, he just looks at them. And, and, and you know all this cheering is still happening here. And he looks at the Pharisees. He says, you better know this. I'm telling you right now, even if they were to be silent, the stones will cry out. What he's saying is this, even if they are quiet, it does not matter. I am the true king. I am Messiah. I am Savior. That is what he's walking into. We know that he's running a colt, right? Not the big stallion. They wanted the war stallion. Here we come, beat up on Rome. He rides a donkey. It's a symbol of humility. Remember, he's bringing peace to earth, not vengeance. Praise God. Isn't it great that we serve a king who doesn't bring vengeance? He brings redemption and hope and peace. So he's signifying that he's going to bring peace to the nations. He, Jesus wasn't the king that they, they were expecting. That's the issue that they have with him. They had a different expectation. What is your expectation for a Messiah? And when he doesn't meet the expectations that you have, are you still okay worshiping and serving and praising him? Their expectations were wrong. We're no different than the people who, remember all the masses of people who were coming to see Jesus? Why did they keep coming? Because he started doing miracles. Why do you think he kept doing the miracles? And almost every time, not every time, but almost every time, he looked at the people in which he had performed a miracle and he says what? Everybody say, shh. Does something make you remember it? Don't tell anybody. Because he knew people were only following him because of the miracles that he was doing, not because they had surrendered. There's a word, surrender. surrender. They hadn't surrendered their heart. They had an expectation of Jesus that didn't involve them surrendering their heart to him. It doesn't work that way. So here he is. He knew that they had different expectations for him. They were serving and wanting him to serve their agenda. 
They were praising Jesus because they expected a political reign, and yet Jesus was going to do something much greater. What he was doing had not only political implications, but cosmic implications. Not wanting him to sit on a dirty donkey, of course, so they throw a cloak on them. The irony is that they were willing to surrender cloaks for Jesus to sit on, but never their hearts for him to live in. Why? Because they didn't understand that Jesus wasn't coming to wear a crown of jewels, but he's coming to wear a crown of thorns. He was coming to carry a cross. Jesus didn't meet their expectations, and so they never fully surrendered. And what it does for us is it forces a question. This does force a question. If you are hearing these words, right? If you have ears to hear, and if you are hearing these words right now, it forces you to ask the question whether or not you've surrendered your own idea of who God should be in order to discover a greater life in Christ. Surrendering to him. And some of us have not surrendered our current life, and yet Romans 6, a great passage for you to write down, Romans 6 says the following, we know that our old self was crucified with him. We know that what? Our, who you were before you acknowledged Jesus Christ was crucified with him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we can no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. And it continues on now. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Amazing words of triumph. Amazing words of victory. But what does this even mean? The old self was crucified with him? How much of, the, of your old life are you willing to shed? Are you willing to get rid of? Are you willing to release in order to walk in a new life with Jesus? This passage in Romans 6, actually, if you read verses 2, 3, and 4, it's really about, it's about baptism, right? It's about going, you know what? We, the old is gone, the new has come. I, I, I'm a new person in Christ. I, I want to be baptized in him. We know that the word baptizo, we know what it really means. It means to be plunged, to be dipped, right? We know that it, it means so much more in terms of um, being, being buried and now a new person in Christ. That's why it's so important for us. It's why it's one of the two ordinances that we observe, that and communion, because there's no debate biblically about where it falls. But here's what you also have to understand, is that for there to be a resurrection, there first must be a death. We die to the old, and we are risen in the new. For someone to step into a new life, they must step away from an old life. Are you willing to step away from an old life in order to find a freedom in life through Jesus? Everybody say the word surrender. That's their problem. They're struggling with surrendering their own expectations. But this is who we want you to be, and that's not who he was. Listen, we already know. Pilate, he's in it. I don't find any guilt in him. Herod, I don't find any guilt in him. And yet the people still said what? Give us Barabbas. 
Wow. Because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. I don't want to oversimplify it too much, but another way to think about it is they wanted Jesus to come and to make their life more convenient. Now, again, I don't want to oversimplify that. They, they were under Roman rule. They had a lot of difficulty. So, again, I'm not trying to... We've got to contextually, we've got to understand this. But they want more... We, we love things being more convenient. Who remembers getting your first remote control for the TV? Anybody remember this? Don't act like you're not that old. I see the gray hairs. Don't. Don't. I see the lack of hair, okay? Like... I remember getting that, and then yet now, very quickly, what's become is this. Just when we lose a remote, I remember we just recently, we, we moved, and we lost one of the remotes, and you would have thought <laughs> the world was ending. We got to get a new remote, Dad. I'm like, why? Because you can't walk the nine feet to the TV? Nine feet. Like, I measured it. I'm that guy. I don't know, let me get tape measure. Oh, sorry, it was nine feet, four inches. We love convenient, don't we? We have remote control, everything. I mean, I'm I love this new stuff. It's so easy for me now because, you know, we experience winter nine or ten months out of the year. And so we have these little remotes that you press and your car starts up so it gets warm before you ever go into it. Isn't that great? Recently, somebody was here. I remember that it was on a Sunday. They're like, they looked at their husband, and they said, you have started the car, right? I'm like, wow. We love our convenience, don't we? Have you noticed that you can go, they have these other things now. You can go online, you hit a button, and like the same day, they just show up on your doorstep. It's almost like you forget that they actually charge you money. We love convenience. Friends, we've done the same thing to understanding of who Jesus Christ is. We want it to be convenient. Understanding that you have a king and a Lord who has died for you is not about your convenience. It's about giving you spiritual liberation for all of eternity. And the people wanted greater convenience. This Jesus did not come to give us greater convenience. He, gave us to give, he came to give us a king. He came to bring redemption and renewal, restoration, And we want everything to be as convenient as possible today. Even in our baptism, we want to make sure that everything is convenient. And we go, well, do we have the right clothes? Do we have all the right cameras? And I understand some of that stuff. But friends, when we want to control how God can use our lives, our lives will never be fully submitted to God. If you can control it, it's not a movement. I say it all the time to organizations and the churches as I travel. If you can control it, it's not a movement. We're striving so hard not to try to control this so that the will of God will be at display no matter what. And when we step into Palm Sunday, knowing what is to come, what we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to surrender our expectations of what a king is in order to embrace who the king truly is so that we can know a life in him that we would not have otherwise? But when Jesus doesn't fit our mold, so many people reject him. This is what I wanted him to do. He didn't save my friend. But we live in a broken world. Friends, if he controls all of that, if he just dictates, that means he's a dictator. 
Have you ever processed that before? If, he, if he's already going to say, well, this person is going to be, everybody's just going to, I'm just going to do this, 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 and this, and you have no choice. He's a dictator rather than a loving God who gives you an opportunity to say yes or no to him. We have to understand this. We want to take all the good, determine what God should do, and then get upset with him when he doesn't do what we desire. Maybe you're one of the people who actually maybe cheered for him when he walked in, but then rejected him just a few short days later, and you keep him at arm's length. Maybe you're married to somebody who keeps God at arm's length. And they've never truly surrendered. Everybody say surrender. surrender. I'll give you a few things to surrender. Will you surrender? Maybe some of these things relate. Anger. Some of you are just angry because God hasn't done for you what you want. Right? Some of you need to surrender bitterness. You've held on to something and someone did you wrong and in time you ended up blaming God for that. So you're just, you're just angry and you're bitter. Hostility, something you need to surrender. Or maybe some of you have treated Jesus so much as just an add-on rather than the old life is now gone and you've kept a relationship that you know is pulling you away from God, but you just, you want him to be God and it doesn't work that way and you need to surrender a relationship that is not Christ-like. Some of you will worship God as long as he blesses you financially. So you need to surrender that. Some of you will declare, Behold, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as long as... And that's the problem right there. As long as... He owes us nothing, my friends. He has blessed us in the giving of his son. As long as you get the job you want, you will declare his goodness. As long as you get the title you want, the promotion you want, earn the money you want, have the house you want, you will worship him. I've never told this story. Didn't tell it in the last service, but I remember we had kids and um, we had nothing to give them for Christmas. We had no money. So my wife, I found out, had boxed up all of our china from our wedding and sold it to buy Christmas gifts for our kids. Right? I said, honey, you don't have to 
have to do. I'll go get a job on the weekends. Like, we'll, like she's like, you kind of work on the weekends. I was like, Fridays. She said, no. He's worth it. Saw her. Have you surrendered to the king? What do you need to surrender? By the way, last year, I bought her china back. Don't worry about her. Will you surrender? celebrate the resurrection while ignoring what it took to get there. Understanding the need that we have to surrender all of our life in order to understand the fullness of your life. Of what you bring, of what you give. May these brothers and sisters identify what they need to surrender they need to surrender, what they need to surrender is what they need to surrender. Please, God. We surrender all because you're worth it.